0: Voices that inspire the extended interview.
1: Scotty Barnhart, uh, professor of jazz trumpet and jazz studies at Florida State University and uh, director of the Count Basie Orchestra.
0: Well, it's an honor to have you here. Thanks oh, for thank doing you.
1: this. Thank you. My pleasure.
0: So when did you have a sense that you had an artistic ability?
1: Um, that's probably two answers to that question. When did I have a sense that I had... Some artistic sensibility. Probably when I began to play the trumpet when I was nine years old, it was always easy. It was never a struggle. It was never hard. I could always just play. And so something deep in me kind of knew that I liked it and I wanted to keep doing it. But when I got to about ninth grade or tenth grade, one night I remember I couldn't sleep, you know, I just tossing and turnings, two or three o'clock in the mornings. I said, Well, I'll just get up and read. You know, I had these Encyclopedia Britannicas in my room. And I remember looking at all of the letters A to Z and on the books, you know, and I grabbed the one that had M on it. So I said, I'll just read about music. And as I started reading, simply reading the definition of it, I felt this inferno of fire. I said, wow. I mean, just from reading it, that's when I knew I was going to be a musician. I mean, that I was called to be a musician. I knew at that very instant, 3 o'clock in the morning when I was in ninth grade, I just knew. I never felt that kind of... Passion. It was It was all of a sudden as if it just hit me like a ton of bricks, seriously. And that was just from reading it, not even playing it. Reading, the, you know, the about the Gregorian chants, about uh, the classical musicians, all of this stuff, jazz, everything, just whatever the definition they had in that book under music. And that's kind of what I knew.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Were there musicians in your family?
1: Yes, my mother, I get my music talents directly from her. She was a great uh, vocalist, a soprano and played uh, piano and organ. And her mother, my grandmother, uh, also was a good pianist and organist, and she studied at the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. And I didn't find this out until I was in my 20s or 30s or something that they, that she had done that. So it was from my mother, really, um, hearing her singing around the house all the time and uh, listening to her in our choir at church every Sunday. I grew up in Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, on, you know, with Dr. King and everybody. So Daddy King was the minister when I was growing up. And, uh, but every Sunday there would be a different choir. So we basically had four choirs and there still are four, even under Reverend Warnock now, who's a senator now, but, um, there are four choirs there. So every Sunday I got to hear a completely different style of, um, of music, whether it be classical music with my mom's choir or gospel music with the ML King choir or the children's choir that I was in at one point or the male chorus. So that's kind of how I got, uh, really deeply into music because I was exposed to it every week.
0: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What a... What an education. Yeah, yeah. So how did you end up in Tallahassee?
1: One day in high school, <laughs> my uh, my late great band director, Gordon Boykin, loved that guy, man. He uh, he simply walked up to me. Seriously, he looked me right in the face and said, you know, you're going to Florida A&M. And I said, okay. I hadn't even heard of Florida. I didn't know anything about that. And then he let me hear a tape of them playing a, a, a march called Barnum and Bailey's Favorite. It's a march, you know, a very difficult march. And I heard that band playing that. I'm like, oh, my God, there's no way I can... You know, but I was 11th grade, and he said, in a week or so, they're going to be in Atlanta auditioning, you know, high school students for scholarships, and you need to go over there and play for them. I went over and auditioned, and I got a full scholarship. That's how I got here. So he just basically knew where I should go. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, we all need people like that in our lives. <laughs> yeah. that when yeah. we, when we, we feel we're so clueless, and they just... Yeah.
1: He know he knew. They he, know the direction. He, he was absolutely right. Mm-hmm.
0: So you have this FAMU connection, yeah. and then you—how did you kind of launch yourself as a musician then after graduating? I mean, obviously you went through Florida A yeah. and M.
1: Yeah.
0: How did well, that begin?
1: Well, that's interesting. I never heard that put that way before. Launching myself as a musician, I think I began when I started at nine playing the trumpet. You just basically prepare all of your life for it, you know. Because you really, there's really no one real way to prepare uh, for being a professional other than just practicing and trying to become a master of your craft. So I was always in that mode. And all the things that happened, and I tell my students the same thing, you really can't prepare for someone calling you, offering you a gig or a job. You just have to try to be the best in your instrument that you possibly can be at all times, spend all your time doing that, because that you can control. You can't control everything else. So that was my frame of mind, just trying to get good, trying to be, Great, like Winton, when I saw him when I was seventeen. Uh, when I saw the Basie Orchestra too, when I was twelve, I was trying to be good enough to be in that orchestra someday. And look what happened. And I'm simply was I was simply trying to get better. And my high school band director again, he's the same one that said to me one day in, in school in the band room, "Hey, the Count Basie Orchestra is in town tonight. You are going to see him?" I said, "Okay," and I went. You know. And he also was the one that told me you need to get a private teacher so you can really refine your talents on the trumpet. You have some talent, but it needs to be refined. And so this guy, Mr. Boykin, knew, I guess he saw in me that the, the, the uh, I guess the potential I had to, to become a professional and be good at it. And so that was my, it's still my frame of thought. I'm just trying to get better as a musician. I'm trying to get my ear better, uh, my reflexes better as a musician on the trumpet, on the piano, when it comes to composing, arranging, all of those things. And then hopefully people will hear you, <laughs> and that's really all. It's really all you can do, and kind of uh, align yourself with those who are doing what you want to do. So I tell my students all the time, like for example, if you're a bassist, a young student bassist, in your phone you should have in in speed dial the top ten bassists in the world. Period in the story. You can do that now. You can actually or email address or something, and the same. So that's kind of how. Uh, I look at it, and I was always trying to find out who were the best. And and when I met Winton when I was seventeen, Winton Marsalis, that is, he gave me a bunch of advice, and uh, and I knew this guy was somebody I needed to be aligned with. And uh, sure enough, I've gotten things, you know, opportunities from him, through him, because of him, things like that. And that's how it is. Musicians help each other, you know. And uh, so I just try to pass that on to my students, to try to help them as much as I can.
0: I like that. There's that camaraderie that mm-hmm. people are reaching back to oh, help. Yeah. You know, that, oh, that yeah. and that you're doing it. You're oh, you're yeah. doing that now.
1: Oh yeah. It's it's obli- you have to do that. We're all obligated as professionals to reach back, no matter what you do. If you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, there's somewhere somebody somewhere that wants to do what you're doing one day. Why not try to reach out and find out who they are or or develop an intern program or whatever you can do. Or if you're an athlete, a professional athlete, go back to the high schools, go back to the colleges and find out who those young standouts are. And then for musicians, we're always looking to see who the young musicians are that are really, really on the right path to becoming great professionals. We have a lot of them at Florida State, a lot of them at FAMU, TCC here in town. And uh, anytime I have a chance to be around them, the young musicians, I just try to give them the same information that I was given by my elders. We just have, we have to keep that pipeline going, and I just find it a responsibility, but a good one. I love doing that and uh, watching them grow with some information and uh, staying in touch with them as they get on out in the real world. And I've run into students in airports all around the world, which is great. When I see them traveling somewhere to a gig or something, and I'm going to a gig somewhere, and you see them on tour and they're having a ball, it's it's nothing like it.
0: Okay, so I have to ask you, mm-hmm. what is it like as a musician? Mm-hmm. To go out on a stage, Mm -hmm. whether it's the Hollywood Bowl or Mm -hmm. one of the other amazing Mm -hmm. performance spaces you've Mm -hmm. been in, what's it like? (laughs) I I will never experience that, so
1: I need to know what that's like. I mean, it's an incredible... Imagine what it's like to... whatever. Let me see if I can put this this way. Imagine the top five things, the top five greatest things that have ever happened to you in your life. Imagine all of those things happening at one time. That's what it feels like when I walk on stage. It, whether it be getting married, whether it be the birth of a child, whether it be winning a lot, whatever it may be. Five of the most incredible things, great things that happen to you. So when I walk on stage, that's the feeling I have. It's like all my life where I prepared for this moment in the Hollywood Bowl. That's 18,000 people. And we just played that a few months ago, you know? And I'm walking out on stage and I'm looking at the people. But believe it or not, I'm really thinking about what I have to play. I'm thinking about, am I warmed up on the trumpet? Did I warm up right? Am I in tune? Is my tie straight? Is (laughs) all these little things like that, you know? Are the guys, do I have the right tempo for the first tune? Is everybody in place? Is the sound together? So those things I'm thinking too, but for the most part, I'm just grateful to be able to make music, to have fun with it, with a smile on my face, which is what, at the end of the day, that's where all we're all trying to make the people's lives better by playing well and having the the venue become one big band not us on the stage and then you have everybody in the audience two separate things trying to connect but we look at it as one big group of people because we're all in the same space so for me it's exciting it's always exciting no matter where I step on stage here at Opperman Hall at FSU or Recital Hall at FAMU or wherever it is I'm playing or the Hollywood Bowl or Carnegie Hall where I played many times it's just a matter of uh trying to um be prepared really because in jazz we never know what's going to happen that's the funny thing about it we can prepare we can rehearse but that first number the first two or three beats can be could be off it might not be right then you got to figure out okay how do we correct this and then it's just an ongoing uh, uh negotiation if you will of getting things together and we're still having fun even when mistakes happen we me and, and the guys we'll laugh at it we'll you know it's just what happens everybody makes mistakes for the most part but With the Basie Orchestra, 99.9% of the time, we're right on the money. And it's just such a great feeling. And the last thing about that, all of the musicians with me have the same mindset. So it's not like me, I'm the leader, I'm trying to pull these guys along and make them play well and all of that and look right. No, 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 we're all together. And that's a heck of a feeling. And that really is what kind of makes it easy in a sense. Because I can relax because I know they have my back and I don't have to try to, you know... Uh, coax people into playing and give me their best because no that's what they're there for they know they're going to give their best and uh, so that's a long answer to that question but I hope it answers it for you
0: well it does I it gives me that sense of what it must be like Mm -hmm. you know just Mm -hmm. that walking out and Mm -hmm. and when you're everybody's on the same page and Mm -hmm. And you're all professionals, mm-hmm. and you're ready to do. Mm-hmm. You're, and you and you enjoy it because oh, yeah. that joy translates to the audience. Oh
1: yeah,
0: absolutely. So you know, there's nothing better when you see artists are in a groove mm-hmm. and they are really mm-hmm. happy and oh, they're playing.
1: Mm-hmm. It's it's, nothing like it. And what that feels like on stage is just a whole nother. It's almost like an out of body experience when it's really swinging and everybody's together. It's like, oh my god, you can't we can't sit still. We're laughing, we're having a good time, and that's what it's about. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, you you're this professional musician, and I'm just curious. I mean, jazz is your you know your mm-hmm. your spot, mm-hmm. but what is the music out there right now that sort of is intriguing to you? Like you know, what do you what are you listening to? What what kind of gets your ear?
1: You know, I listen to pretty much anything that doesn't that's not loud and distorted. I love classical music. I was brought up on classical music. I study. I still study classical music. And some of my private trumpet students are only playing classical music. They're not playing jazz. So I love Beethoven. I love Bach and Chopin. More I, I still listen to that all the time. I was just listening to the Beethoven String Quartets the other day when I was driving back from uh, Hilton Head. And, uh, but I love Earth, Wind & Fire, who was just here a month or so ago, r and I love The Carpenters. I, I, anything that's nice and melodic, I love to listen to. And uh, I was just introduced to the music of Fila Kuti not long ago, who was a South African musician who was unbelievable. So I'm listening to him. Uh, I still listen to James Brown. I love James Brown. And Earth, Wind & Fire, but, of course, all of the Miles Davis and Duke Ellington, Basie, Freddie Hubbard, all of the great... Jazz editions, Cannonball and that, Adelaide. So, my uh, thing I've done lately is I just put my iTunes on Shuffle and I have about 30,000 or 40,000 songs in there. So, at any given time, it could be Vladimir Horowitz playing Chopin on one track, and the next track it could be James Brown, <laughs> and the next track it could be Basie, and the next track it could be, you know, um, The Carpenters or Neil Sedaka, whomever I'm listening to. So, I like to listen to a lot of different musics, because I love to learn and gather what I can. Brazilian music is another favorite of mine. And uh, so a lot of things, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: So this series is called Voices That Inspire. Who who has been your inspiration over the years?
1: I would have to say Wynton Marsalis. I mean, Wynton, um, man, this guy, when I saw him when I was 17 years old, live, he was playing on The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson. And that particular night, Bill Cosby was the guest host because uh, Bill's a huge jazz fan. And uh, and I'd heard that name or some something like Went my solace from a buddy of mine. This is There was just this, this talk about this great young trumpet player because, you know, I was a trumpet player, and, and he kept telling me, man, this is a young, great trumpet player, man, who's really making a name, blah, 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 blah. And so I'd heard those rumblings for a few months. And so that one night, I'm laying up watching TV expecting to see Doc Severinsen, you know, and um, and Bill introduced the band, he held up the album cover with, I said, oh, my, that must be the guy everybody's been talking about. And for the next three minutes, I sat there and watched this guy play the trumpet like I'd never <laughs> heard or seen in my life. I, I, and then he looked to, to be close to my age. That's what got me, you know. I'm like, who in the world? So that was April of 1982. In June of that year, I mean, July of that year, I was in London on this Jazz Abroad tour. It's kind of a long story. But I was in London. And uh, we had a night off, and uh, our group leader said, well, what shall we do tonight? Let's go, let's, see, let's go hear some music or something. So, he, so somebody in the group said, well, here's a newspaper. Let's see what's playing. There's somebody named Winston Marsalis at a job. I said, oh, my God. That's, no, we got to go see him. <laughs> so we go to this jazz club called Ronnie Scott's in mm-hmm. London, and we buy like 30 tickets or whatever, and I'm in the front table in the front row, and it's packed because at that time he was such a rising star in the classical world and the jazz world. So he walks in, he walks straight over to me, and he said, man, I've got the greatest drummer in the world. That's the first thing I ever heard him say. <laughs> and then he said, oh, my God, also, I messed him around and brought the wrong trumpet to the club tonight. I bought my C trumpet instead of my B flat. So anyway, kind of made small talk and all that. But when he took the stage and played that night, I was three feet away from the stage for three hours, and I, that changed my life. I knew that's what I was supposed to be doing, what he was doing, meaning playing jazz with a great group and all that kind of thing. And he and I became close friends that night. We've been in touch ever since. We've recorded together. We've uh, toured together, you know, parties at my house my mom threw for him. I've been in his house in New York. We've been, you know, the connection through Marcus Roberts here in town. And he has been such an inspiration because he's an example of how if you really pay attention to the talent that you have, and you pay attention to trying to get better, and with a serious work ethic, the sky's the limit. And so he's probably been my main inspiration, just as a musician, watching him write and watching him play the trumpet. There's no weakness that he has. And nobody else on the planet is doing what he's doing, period, full stop. No one is doing that. And when you look at his body of work, from a classical standpoint, it's not matched. And then you look at his body of work from a jazz standpoint, what he's been able to put out, it's really close to being unmasked at some point. The variety of work, I mean. And now he's writing symphonies, combining classical music with jazz. That's never been done before. On this level, nobody's done that. All you have to do is do the research. I tell my students all the time, just research it. Don't take my word for it. So this guy, to me, I can easily say he's the greatest musician on the planet at this time. And again, all you have to do is just do the research. Don't take my word for it. Do your own research. And when you combine his jazz output with his classical output, what he's doing now, what he's writing, we don't have a precedent for that. We do not have a precedent for it. And I think some people still miss that point because he's so popular or he you know, wears nice suits or whatever. But no, study his music. Study his actual work. And what you'll find, there is no equal to him to what he's doing. And I know this because I study that, you know. And so for him to be an inspiration to me and for he and I to talk often and be on the phone and, you know, joking about stuff or whatever it may be. And uh, it's just he's definitely been uh, my greatest influence. Yeah.
0: I got to see him play at Lee Hall for mm-hmm. a Christmas Mm-hmm. Special. Mm-hmm. I was there. I was. I played the concert. Rhythm. Yeah, I remember you mm-hmm. were there too. Mm-hmm. That was a great evening. Mm-hmm. Great vocals. It was mm-hmm. just that was one of those concerts where you left just so happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. It just made me happy. Mm-hmm. Music should do that, mm-hmm. or it should make you feel something. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. How has Tallahassee been for you as a place that is your home? It, has it been a place that supported you in your work?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, Tallahassee has been a great place to be a musician uh, because the people here really love music and they really care for the arts. Um, whether or not I'm playing at McClay or one of the clubs here in town, it's always packed. And I've met so many dear friends like Carol Fiore or her late husband, Stan Fiori. Uh It's just been a great place to play, you know? And I think... What helps that is that it's a college town, you know, FAMU, FSU, TCC. So there's always this young buzz of young students around town trying to learn the craft, trying to navigate their way uh, and study with us professionals, you know, as much as they can. And we always, all of us, uh, try to always play. So Tallahassee has been a great town for that, for really, you know, uh, supporting young talent. Even for as far back when I began in the late 80s, mid-80s, when Bill Kennedy and Lindsey Sargent, every time we would play would always be a packed house with Pam Laws, the great Pam Laws. So it's just been a great place for it, you know, and I think the universities have helped that. I really do.
0: Mm-hmm. Sarah, anything else you'd like to, to add, like reflection on your career or advice to that budding mm. artist that may be listening? <laughs>
1: um... Yeah, well, I guess it would be two things. As far as advice for young musicians, uh, what I would say is uh, deep down in you, you know whether or not you have a passion for what you want to do. And you cannot let anyone, I don't care who they are, family, friends, you cannot let anyone deter you from that path. You cannot do that. If you know something is right and you feel it's right, the direction you want to go with your music or your craft or your art, whatever it may be, don't get distracted. It's easy to get distracted these days, and it's easy to have um, an influential person in your life, whether it be a parent or a sibling or whomever, to influence you a way to do something else that's, quote-unquote, safer or whatever it may be. Don't do that. And luckily for me, I never had that issue, but some friends of mine have had that issue, and they got sidetracked to doing things they didn't want to do, and they regret it to this day, you know? And uh, and if you're good at something, if you're really good at it, the money will come, you know. And the aim shouldn't be money anyway. It should just be able to be comfortable to make it from, you know, concert to concert, basically. But if you stay true to your, your beliefs and your passion in this world and this life, if you really know what it is you want to do, whether it's being the top violinist in the world, the top pianist, the top, you know, artist in your cl- whatever it may be, stay true to that, Uh and surround yourself with those people who think like you, who are ambitious like you, who are serious like you, and you'll make it. You know, don't have a time limit on it. Time limit saying, "Oh, by my t- the time, I'm 25." No, no, it's a lifelong pursuit. Can't have a time limit on it. And the journey itself—that is the that that's the reward. That's how I feel. The journey that I'm on—that is the reward for the hard work that I'm I put in, and I'm still putting in. And the last thing I would say as far as something to say, um, I'm, the older I get, I realize how influential my upbringing was with my family in the church in Ebenezer with Dr. King Jr. and Sr. I knew Dr. King uh, Sr. And, uh, and Dr. King Jr. And my mother grew up together. And I grew up with his kids. We were the same age and all that. But uh, when I was a baby, he christened me when I was three months old. And Daddy King baptized me. But the the influence that the King family has had on my, well, especially, specifically, Daddy King, the influence that he's had on my character, my uh, my the way that I deal with people, the way that I deal with adversity, to deal with... He's, I just have to say, I'm, the older I get, the more I realize how um, fortunate I was to have grown up and known this man, Dr. King Sr., I'm speaking about. Uh, and people, everybody in the world knows his son, well some people forget and don't think about it. his son would not have been who he was had it not been for his father. That's something I know, and so for me to and my family to have been associated with their family for the last hundred years or so, it goes back before Dr. King Jr was even born uh that is something the older I get, the realize I, I realize how fortunate I am and how I see the world, how I uh understand human beings, the good and the bad, you know and how um, it's 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 allowed me to really focus on what I want to do and just uh, try to be great at it. But the influence of Dr. King Sr. is something that I don't talk about that often, you know, but the more I think about it, uh, the older I get, I'm 58 now, I definitely think about it a little bit more, and I'm just so glad I was able to know him and grew up in that church because that's where I was first exposed to music. That was the first place I also played trumpet in public, you know, And so I'm just so fortunate that my mother uh, uh, had us there every Sunday, and her friends were Julian Bond and John Lewis. All these people were at our house. I mean, I grew up under—man, I I was just so lucky. I mean, I can't tell you how fortunate I was to sit and talk with Julian Bond when I was a teenager, even up until two months before he died. We'd talk about things with John Lewis and— Man, my my upbringing, I was very fortunate. So anyway, I just want to mention that the older I get now, the more I realize how fortunate I was to have grown up in Ebenezer and my mom exposing us to these people and these great intellectuals, these great civil rights uh, activists and pioneers, and it's just affected uh, who I am as a person. They're a part of me.
0: It's in your music too. Mm -hmm,
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely.
0: That's wonderful. Mm Mm-hmm. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing some of your thoughts with me. Mm-hmm. And I, it's a, such an honor to have you here.
1: It's my pleasure. My pleasure yes. to be here. Scotty Barnhart, musician.